0: Hey, I'm Sam Laidlow. This is The Greg Bennett Show. Any questions?
1: Welcome to The Greg Bennett Show presented by Any Question. I'm your host, Greg Bennett, and I've just finished an absolutely delightful conversation with a young man that I knew was a great athlete, but I just didn't realise he was just such a great human being, and that is Sam Ladlow. Sam shares his journey in this uh, episode and and goes through everything about Kono Iron Man, where he was second and just had such an incredible performance that made us all just stand up and go, wow, this is the future. And um, But what I loved about this conversation was just his tremendous love and passion for the sport of triathlon his uh gratefulness to his family and his team uh and just his respect for his peers ar- around him uh, i just thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with just a, a really wonderful human being like i said um a little bit of housekeeping before we go on uh, firstly thank you so much for listening to the show and sharing it and I do love all your feedback please keep that coming it is wonderful Um, also if you want to go over to anyquestion.com forward slash podcast we now have a promotion going on three months free just put that in and you'll be able to use that link to be able to get three months free and go listen to many of the world's greatest uh, athletes uh, scholars health professionals across many many different channels answering questions and you can ask them all questions there Uh, So go check it out, anyquestion.com forward slash podcast. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did with Sam. It really was a fantastic one. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. All right. Today, I am joined by a man who is leading the next generation of superstar triathletes, finishing second at the Kona Ironman World Championships two weeks ago in a time of seven hours and 42 minutes, shattering the previous course record by nine minutes and setting a new bike course record of four hours and four, elevating him to number four in the world rankings. What I love is that he races without fear and with this controlled aggression, and he just knows who he is, he knows what he wants, and he's in control of his own life. He has an incredible team around him and he's been steadily improving for years, but it was in the year of 2022 that the world really stood up and took notice with his incredible performances at the PTO US and Canadian Opens, where he was fourth at both of those and his eighth place at the Ironman St. George Ironman World Championships. It's just an absolute privilege and an honor to just sit and chat. So welcome. And thanks for joining me on The Greg Bennett Show. Sam Ladlow, how are you, mate? I'm uh, very,
0: very good. Yeah, very busy. But uh, no, I can't complain. Life's been treating me super well. And uh, yeah, it's genuinely an honor to be on your show, mate. Um, I've listened to... I think everyone. Um, Wow! Yeah, to to be amongst uh, amongst these names is uh, is again
1: such a privilege. So thanks for having me on. Oh mate, it's just so great to have you on. It's like just being able to watch your career the last couple of years, especially this year. And I know there's probably a little bit of people going, "Where did the Sam Ladlow come from?" But you've been there or thereabouts for years. You've had a few bike crashes and things that have kind of you know, just set you back, but you've always been the guy that's been aggressive from the front. You love that style of racing. And and for me as a fan of the sport, I've always enjoyed watching you race. So to see you have the performance you did in Kona to then have you say yes to coming on the podcast, it means the world to me, mate. So thanks again for coming on have you had a chance to decompress since the race or has it been all media and meetings and everything else? What's it been like?
0: So I guess I was kind of like prepared for success, but not what comes after it. If you call it, if Mm -hmm. you call it success, what happened? I mean, for me, relatively, it certainly was. I had a, yeah, I had a performance that, I mean, I just, everything went right on the day. And I, and even if I guess my career was to stop tomorrow, which I don't think it will, but I would be really proud of that performance I I, I did on Kona. And, uh, as I said, it's been crazy since since then. I didn't really realise what how big an impact Kona had. Um, I was mm. speaking to Maka the other day, and he was saying that Kona's like the only currency. That and the Olympics are like the only currency of our sport, really. And uh, yep. so now I've got I've got I've got a little bit of money in triathlon terms i guess you know yeah, yeah. and uh, um yeah so um now my head's been blown you know it's really taught me that um yeah i guess I when i was a kid i thought that you just had to swim bike and run and now i'm learning that it's, it's way more than that and uh trying to just kind of almost be the the boss of your own ecosystem and choosing the people you want to, to help you along the way because yeah as we all know it's an individual sport but um the performances aren't don't come from from one person you know and um just mm. Built, yeah keeping the people who have been beside me all, all, all that time uh, mostly my, my family and uh, and a few close friends but yeah and also trying to just now i'm getting to a point where people are wanting to help me and that's great and uh i really i really think that that's gonna be like for me the next stepping stone is just in, in my results it won't be i'm still the same athlete you know it's mm. mostly just all the small things and all the people around me who, who really want me to to do good that that will help yeah it's uh, yeah, so no, I haven't really had time to decompress, and even now I'm on a I'm on a kind of business business slash road trip with my my girlfriend, and we're gonna I'll probably in a, in about two weeks I'll, I'll hopefully would have decided who I'm gonna work with, what contracts I'm gonna sign, and then uh, and then be able to take a few weeks off. Yeah.
1: Wow, mate. Are, are you enjoying it? Are you enjoying this, or is it kind of is it getting a bit old?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's definitely not getting old. Um,
1: no,
0: I I am enjoying also. I'm trying to like deliberately enjoy it. You know, I think, um, mm. if there's a few, like people have given me lots of advice, experienced athletes, and they just said, mate, like just, just enjoy what you've, what you've done, what you've achieved. And, um, so yeah, and I generally, I generally don't know how some of the guys are going along to seventy point three worlds and, and racing there. It's just for me, I need a, I need a break. I need a few, a few beers and glasses of champagne with, with my friends and, um, yeah. and then be, be able to really build back up from there. I mean, in no rush, uh, and yeah, my goal is yeah. People are asking me already about what race I'm doing next year.
1: I'm like, man, just <laughs> let me have a rest.
0: Like, let's yeah. uh, let's. Yeah. I'll build. I'll be ready for Kona, but yeah, anything before that, uh, I'll see.
1: I, I, I love that. And 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 what about your peers' reaction? You know, all the guys that you've you've raced. Have you had much of an outpouring from from them in terms of respect? And you know, they understand what it takes. How, how's that been?
0: Yeah, I think mostly I've had, um, I guess, as the peers that are kind of my age, who, yeah, of course, said, like, well done. And I guess in a way, they're slightly inspired because, you know, I've trained with them, I've raced with them, and I'm at a very similar level. It just shows that I was, it just shows that, like, what, like, how close that line is between just being, like, I don't know, seventh uh, in a race and then actually, like, being able to perform on a world stage. And I was, I think what what really helped me is that I was racing on emotion, you know, um, and I've, uh, I've been building towards that race my whole life. And it just kind of all poured out on that day. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, speaking to, to Sebi after the race, he was saying that, um, like, I know what it feels to race. Like you did, you know, you like, you weren't even looking at your power numbers or anything, you were just, you couldn't feel the pain. And that's exactly what happened to me. You know, I just felt clearly I had, a I had good legs and, but yeah, everything was just, everything was running smoothly and I felt controlled and, everything was going my way, you know, the gap was getting bigger and bigger on the bike and on the run. I just, yeah, I just felt good and almost like knew that I wasn't going to blow up the first mm. time. Cause, uh, as you said before, I've had, I've always felt like I've been on the cusp of something. You know, I knew, mm. I knew I could run that kind of time in a marathon. I just hadn't been able to put it together with a decent bike and, uh, if there was one day to do it, I guess, I guess Kona was
1: the one. That, that seriously made it was, it really was an amazing performance. So what, what I want to do then is, is, you know, you've touched on Kona. I kind of want to start the show by reflecting on that performance in Kona a little bit more. Um, and then I really just want to rewind the clock and listen to your journey and, and dissect you know, your physical, your mental, your emotional preparation over the years and, 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 and what that's all been about. Um, so let's start with Kona. And I really just have one question for you because I've always heard you say, you know, since a young age, it was always about Kona. And and for me, it's, I just got the question, why Kona And, and, and why is Kona so important to you?
0: Yeah. So, um, uh, my parents own a, own a triathlon training camp business. I kind of grew up in that environment, of just having loads of age groupers come to my place from all, <laughs> all around the world and just talk to me about this Kona. And um, mm. yeah, I just—it was almost, yeah, it was for me in my head. You know, as a kid, it was bigger than bigger than the Olympics, bigger than I don't know Wimbledon, any 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 big tennis match or anything. It was just there was nothing in my in my little head that was bigger than Kona. So. Uh, and then, yeah, I just found myself watching it on TV and being then realised that actually I was the only one staying up watching it. And, um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I I'm I've kind of studied the history of this race for a long time and been inspired by, it by so many guys. So yeah, that's that's how it came about. And uh, I never actually you know. So when Gustav came past me and kind of said, "Well done," we shook hands. It never even crossed my mind in that instant that it kind of referred to to Matthew and Raylitz moment, uh, which yeah. is which is also. A, I'm so happy that did happen. You know, and people ask me if it's um, like if it was like kind of like put on. You know, if I had to deliberately think about doing that. But it's just like so instinctive. You know, with so much respect between between athletes at that level. And um, yeah, and on top of that, Gustav's a great guy. I just I didn't I didn't even think twice that it would. Uh, that would kind of be compared to, to what happened between Macca and
1: Radar, yeah. Mm, I love I love that you know the history. I love that you've been so involved in the sport for so, so long, that your whole family's involved in the sport of triathlon. I, I just think it's really, really awesome. Um, you know, as you were getting gearing up for Kona this year, obviously we haven't had a Kona for a number of years and we we're all really excited about watching it and, you know, having it come apart. When was it then you realised a great race was possible um, was that this year was it 18 months ago when did you start to go I could do something special in Kona
0: um, I think as I said before that that mostly comes from the people around me you know I think deep down my my dad especially just with the numbers I was doing in training always thought that I could do better than what I had done um, hmm. but then again he's not the most expressive of guys so he, he wouldn't he wouldn't tell me that and um, so but yeah I, I always I always believed it I think deep down um and there's yeah i think let's say after saint george um i came eighth and mm. like i i just come up come back from from covid and i knew like i was like i'd got myself healthy but i was so unfit relatively
1: mm-hmm.
0: and i kind of realized then that if i can come eighth like and i'm unfit it doesn't take, it won't take me that much more to have to have a good performance but um to, to then be kind of to do that time like to do to go eight minutes fast and when jan broke the record um that, to be honest, I mean, yeah, it hadn't, it hadn't crossed my mind, it's more than I, I could have imagined, at least that year. Um, I kind of knew the sport, and so in St. George, we there was eight, so I think I was the first guy to not go over eight hours. Um, and St. George was like a bit slower course than uh, than Kona, mm. and so I was like, in my head, I was like, Jesus, like, we're gonna get to Kona, and the first 10 guys we were gonna go under eight hours, and that's exactly what happened. Um, wow, yeah, uh, but I don't know where the belief, I mean. As a, it was almost there was a period definitely where I lost lost that belief. Um, so as a kid, you know, you you grow up and you you can be whatever you want. If you want to be an astronaut, then that's fine. People say, oh yeah, it's great. You can be an astronaut when you're older. And then as you as you get a bit older and kind of go to school and I don't know, just general society kind of tells you that you need to get a real job. You need to fit into, into a box basically. And um, so I kind of I kind of lost or certainly deviated from the route. Um, I I got quite quickly. Got told to obviously go down the short course route as a as a youngster in the sport, and um, I mean I had some amazing experiences there. I was I was 14 and racing on the Grand Prix series, you know, with with, uh, with guys like Alistair and Gomez, and I was the youngest guy there. So very early on, I had some some great experiences in the sport, and. Um, and then I kind of just realized that actually I almost, I can't remember what exactly it was that set it off, but I was living in a flat on my own in, in Montpellier and racing short course and training like so hard trying to study at the same time. And I wasn't earning a penny or very little when my parents were paying my flat. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm doing everything wrong here. I'm not doing long course. My parents have run a triathlon training camp business. My dad's a coach like what What's stopping me basically and uh, mm-hmm. so uh, i kind of i kind of quit all that and um at the time i was in the french base and there was only there was only two two guys that got selected for that to train there and um so it was a really privileged spot to be in and like never had anybody actually like deliberately left it you know so um i i i left there and people were saying wow like you're gonna you're gonna quit everything you're gonna just become i don't know start working in lidl or something um no, no offense to anybody who works in Lidl, but, um, <laughs> no, um, yeah. So I just went back to my place, um, and said to my dad, listen, I want to win. I want to win Kona. And how, how do we get there? So we are like, okay, let's do an Ironman now, see what level you're, you're at and then kind of build from there. And I think we worked it out. And even if I got, if I got 1% better every year by the time I was, I think, I can't remember now, I think by the time I was 26 or 27, I'd have the world record, uh, this was just like just a, this kona uh Koda, excluding kona um just mm-hmm. on a kind of fast iron course and uh, so yeah then I, when i was 20 i went and did my first one and i did i'm uh, in barcelona did 804 came seventh i think or something but um mm-hmm. that year i was so i was so strict on myself um i naturally have a very black or white character and i was just like trying to do too much trying to not eat enough trying to I was eating no carbs I was just yeah I was just being being silly and stupid and I always have to learn for myself you know even if somebody says don't do that I generally generally have to go through it myself to realize that and um, mm, I'm mm. super stubborn and I guess that's why uh, that's why I've kept tight and uh, got yeah got, got this podium so yes yeah, st- stubbornness can, can be a good and
1: a bad thing you, you know what I love about what you just said is we all get caught up in what we're supposed to do. What's the typical way of doing something The, you know, to be successful at Ironman, you need to do the world cup series. You need to do the short course racing, prove yourself there and then carry that speed over into Ironman. And, you know, in your mid thirties or early thirties, that's when you switch and, you know, you came home and, and you it, it showed a, an amazing amount of maturity um, to step away and say, actually my true passion and my dream and who I am as a person is not all about the short course racing and everything I'm meant to be doing at 18, 19. It's, it's Ironman Kona and, and, and stepping away from that. And, and there's a huge, that, that's kind of like a, a bold risky kind of way of doing something because there hasn't been a lot of young people that have been very successful at Kona and, and yourself, you, you're kind of leading the way going, Hey, you can be successful at Ironman at a young age if you really, really want to make it happen. There's no reason why not. And I think that's really commendable. I think out of everything that you've done, it's laying the foundation for a lot of other younger athletes that say, hey, my dream is maybe not the short course racing. It's it's this over here. And So that's really cool.
0: Yeah, I think they used to be frowned upon, didn't it, really, to do like any long distances when you were a oh, kid. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they used to do like more intensity. And actually... Looking back, I think uh, probably doing too much intensity probably like affected my health more as a, as a kid. Mm. Um, and one of the things, the first things I kind of noticed when I um when I moved away from sorry when I moved away from the French centre and back home was that actually like I was like super unhealthy. You know, I was training hard, like not not eating probably how I should, not sleeping enough, and it just it just wasn't working out. And um, when I I think almost making the kid do a bit just like I don't know, there's nothing wrong with him doing a, a three hour or four hour ride, you know, I think that's almost less impact than making him do like loads of VO2 efforts or oh, 100%. I don't know. For me for me my immune system really took a hit and actually um the so I was like, I don't know, it was meant to be one meter ninety four or something and I, I was kind of growing, growing, growing. And when I was fourteen and went away, uh I, I like stopped growing. And then when I came back, uh, after about six six months or so of being back home, so I was nineteen I started growing again, you know, so, and I, for me, that also came from, uh, like, I got my bloods done, like, for the first time ever, when I was 19, I went to Gerona and asked the, um, the same same doctor as Jan, actually, to, to just check my bloods, you know, see if everything's running smoothly, because mm. I really felt that I was training hard, but just not getting anywhere, and he was like, well, no shit mate like you've got like no iron basically and nothing you know i just i was empty and um and yeah so i i really think that then it's also like people people always say that like i don't know when you're a kid and you're at school and stuff uh that, that are like if you complain about school to your parents they'll always be like oh but wait until you're older like this you've got the easy life for now but actually like for me them years were like so hard uh and i think lots of sporting uh like adolescents have the same issue Mm -hmm. it's that it's it's uh it's just it's not sustainable really getting up at whatever five going for a swim then going to class and then studying and training again and i actually found it like really really hard and i and i yeah it's just just too much for a kid and uh I have a younger brother now. He's ten, and we're we're certainly not making the same mistakes. You know, actually, I just yesterday we had some blood tests with with him, like, and I, I wished really that we'd we'd done that before. And um, I think lots of people put kind of the training before your general health, and actually, like, there's no, real, there's no, I don't see any point training your body if uh, you're not healthy in the first place. You know, so yeah, laying the right foundations, I think, is is really important. And uh, yeah, I mean, coming back to the the whole, I hope that I hope that more kids. Think that they can go straight into Ironman, and and I don't think I'm necessarily. I might I might be the f- one of the first in triathlon, but I think we've already seen it in uh, in elite cycling. You know, when uh, when Bernal started winning the Tour and, and Pagatcha, and there's like yeah, there was no there was no question that it was going to arrive in triathlon anytime.
1: Yeah, I I just think that you know what you've done, the maturity to understand that your general health needs to be in place before you can really put the hammer down. And and what's also different than you, there have been a few other younger athletes that might have come over to Ironman earlier, but often they didn't have the three disciplines like you do. Like you can swim, bike, and run, right? You may not be the fastest uh, runner in the world, but your swim and bike would have you at any Olympics, at any ITU World Series race in the lead group, ready to lay down a run. And your run would have yeah. come had you wanted it to, but it's it's a little bit, you were at the pointy end of those races had you wanted to go that, right? Whereas a lot of younger athletes would be like, well, I don't have the swim, so I'm never in the race. So I'll just keep going longer until it matters, right? Until I can get away with it. Um, so I love the fact that you, you actually had the option. You made the right decision because you're like, you're looking at things like your health um, yeah. and then you, you pull the trigger. I do have a question because you you seemed, like I said in the introduction, you, you're you an aggressive racer, but I was very careful in the way I said that. You, <laughs> you race with controlled aggression because I don't see you as just throwing all caution to the wind. There, there is a, a very much a calculated aggression to you, but it seems to me that you're somebody that, where racing off the front is important to you. And I'm, I'm just curious, why is it so important to you to be toughening up the race and being the guy that's out front? Uh, yeah, I think it's just almost like a natural instinct thing. I
0: always have like this this great plan and, uh, before the race, you know, I don't know, sticking to wattage or doing this or doing that. But um, generally, it, I always throw it out the window as soon as I have a, a bib on my back. And um, <laughs> But yeah, equally, I kind of feel that... So yeah, you, you, you're saying it's controlled aggression, but there's been many periods... Many races where it, it was just aggression and it wasn't controlled <laughs> at all, and it, and it didn't work out. Um, but I think I've always, I've always said from from a while back now that like to w- I really to win a race, I really want to understand what it takes to to win, be up front, you know, see what it takes to, to win, and um, and I guess that that's that's how it's come about. Um, yeah, it's uh, I think we've seen that with like so when you see Alistair like race his first Olympics, he just mm-hmm. like win. just went balls out, you know, until until it blew up. And, um, and I I kind of feel that the best guys, that's almost like their natural instincts. But, um, yeah, for me, racing's always worked out a lot better when I have raced aggressively. Um, I just, yeah, I guess I just like to, to steer the boat and, um, the day when I do win, you know, I really want it to be in a, in a dominating way. You know, I, my, my goal long-term is, is to win Kona, like from start to finish, you know, really have. The fastest bike, the fastest swim, and and the fastest run, and that's generally my goal. And uh, I think that's that's the only way of uh, of having. I don't don't think it's the only way, but I think lots of people. Well, few people have won Kona now, and I guess nobody's done it in in the way I just said, you know. And even yeah, I have this silly idea of next year trying to get the swim record, and then then just working really hard on my run to see if if we can get this run record, and then I would hold simultaneously all three. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a long way off that. Um, but yeah, that's certainly what I'm striving towards. And I guess, I, th- I guess even if I don't achieve exactly that, I'll, um, I'll do something decent.
1: I think there's very, like you said, it's, uh, firstly, I love the ambitious, I think it's, uh, the ambitious goal you have, because I think it's very optimistic, but I think, I, th- I truly believe it's realistic after coming off your performance, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago and, I think the only person, who is it? Uh, Lucy Charles Barclay at 70.3 World <laughs> Championships last year. I think it's the only world title, and I'm going to have everybody call and prove me wrong on this, but I <laughs> believe it's the only world title we've seen at the 70.3 at IMAM where... The winner has had the fastest swim, bike, and run. And and Lucy yeah, did that uh, last that's year. Crazy, yeah. yeah. So, mate, I think I I think you can be the next you can be the first man to do it. Um, you know, from what we've just seen. The swim, I believe you can do the bike you've already got. And that run, you ran a 244. You know, mm, you've been yeah. in the 250s, but here you are dropping a 244 after a 404 bike. With the two Norwegians and Max Newman trying to chase you down. So there's that element of pressure, um, but you kept it together and and really laid down an amazing race. Were you, were you surprised to be on the bike up front on your own? Were you thinking maybe where's Magnus Ditlev? Did you know he had a penalty? Were you thinking there'd be other people joining you?
0: Yeah. So, um, I guess when I, when I attacked from right at the very start, I was, I was like, in my head, I thought, like, oh, here we go again. You've made another bad decision, Sam. And, uh, but I kind of had to commit from there onwards. Um, mm. So I kind of just kept, kept pedding and
1: You've made another bad decision, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> I, lo- I love the positive self-talk at the start. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I mean,
0: it's, it's not all positive, as you know. No, whatever's no. going on in our brains from a racing. But, um, yeah, and then uh, I was just keeping towards the top end of my wattage and... Um, everybody was saying that like the race really starts from when you get to the turnaround. And, um, I, Magnus, Magnus caught me up at one point, I think like just before the turnaround and, um, and then also the Norwegians did. And I kind of thought, well, they've, they've probably worked quite hard. And and actually I thought, well, actually maybe my like to get to the turnaround, I've actually been a bit more conservative. Like my efforts were more stable than than Mm. theirs. And, um, and then on the way on the way back uh i was really expecting magnus to, to magnus is a bigger an even bigger guy than me and i've raced him before in texas and that guy when he picks up speed he's like um we have a we have a train in france called a tgv it's just a massive train that goes very fast anyways mm-hmm. like that and um, yeah <laughs> i thought that he would come just like my, my goal in my head was just to be able to stick with him on, on the descent um and uh no i mean i had i got through the personal way station quite quickly and and started pedaling and I, I, I really felt that I was picking up speed really well and um, I could see that I'd kind of got a small gap and uh, so I just I just stayed with it I think mm. Magnus's strategy from there I think part of the reasons that Magnus probably thought that I was going to blow up on the run so he decided to stay with the Norwegians because it was already a very elite group you No, know? I mean clearly mm. we'd done something to break break other people up um, so they kind of let me go uh, and yeah I thought I thought that this would drop them at one point but I, I got told he had a penalty uh, with about 40 or 50k to go uh, and then same I mean the, the wind started picking up so we had a really good tailwind and I guess the, the difference in, in weight then between like a guy like Gustav and me becomes less uh, less prominent. And so I just, I'm just putting more power down, you know, than him because I'm Mm. a bigger guy. And, uh, that's where the uh, really had effects. And Yeah. I mean, also this was the first race where I had some decent equipment, you know, before then I was riding on a frame that was too small. And obviously like you saw head brought out the new wheel. And, uh, I Mm. generally think that's really good at certain your angles. And So there was just so many small things that kind of made it for me to have a breakthrough performance. Um, yeah, so I I genuinely thought that a guy like Magnus would have a better day. Um, also, Florian Anger. Mm-hmm. I, I I think that next year, uh, next year, me and me and Florian will will be up front. But it's equally weird that all the best cyclists kind of got a penalty. I just find it yeah something a bit suspicious. There was a, there was it. a
1: lot of penalties this year. It really mm-hmm. and, and was it overtaking penalties? Is that what was happening? They were coming in too soon. Do you know what I,
0: that- I saw the video the only one I saw was the video of um, Florian getting get a penalty yeah and um, that was I mean literally I don't even know what happened because he was he was second in line and he overtook the guy who was first to kind of come to the front and he got a penalty and uh, yeah I, I, I generally think it's really weird that all the guys who like if you were to list guys to not get penalties, they were the ones. They yeah. were the ones, you know. Apart from probably me, because I I was at the front and they they couldn't give me a penalty. But yeah, I, I just <laughs> yeah, I, I just find it a bit weird, and I I really hope there's there's nothing behind it, you know, because that could be terrible for the sport.
1: Yeah, I, for me, all I could think as I was watching it, going, it must be for the way they're overtaking. Like they they they're coming out and they're just coming in too soon. And yeah, so yeah, yeah. I don't know the exact rules, but I think you've got to wait until you're 12 metres in front until you can slot back in. Mm-hmm. And so maybe they were slotting back in at nine metres. I don't know, whatever. I, I, I don't like to see so many penalties, especially when you know it's for some of the best athletes in the world that are doing what exactly, they can. Yeah. Um, exactly. So, yeah, a bit frustrating. When, when you got to the marathon, were you doing constant math? Was there, I find leading a race is constant mathematics, and I, yeah. I actually find a lot of great endurance athletes are quite good at math because it's all about understanding how much energy you have left and what are the time gaps. What was that like for you onto the marathon?
0: Yeah, um, I was actually doing more maths on the bike because I, I started realizing that I was on like well under the bike course record and <laughs> but, like, I didn't really believe it. I didn't really believe it, so I was like calculating like if I do – 13k at 44 kilometers an hour blah 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 so yeah yeah um uh, on, i was i was thinking about that a lot on, on the bike and then um on the run i guess the first the first 11k on the run is, is so many people that like you don't even you don't even think about you don't even think about the fact that you're actually running it's more like trying to slow yourself down to not overheat mm. and also i had a real advantage is that because i came off with six minutes i kind of like i got out of their sight you know because the transition's quite big by the time you've gone in and run out and stuff that I'd, I was completely out of their sight, and I generally felt like I was alone Mm -hmm. because the time was so fast on the bike. In my head, I was like, "Well, actually, even if I run a three-hour marathon, I'll be under eight hours. So this is this is a great this is a great position to be in." Um, So yeah, that was my that was where where my head was at at that time. The only moment where kind of that maths came into play was um, at the halfway mark when they I had had a three-minute lead because. That was basically bang on. Um, so uh, if I kept on at the same pace and they kept at the same pace, we would, it would come down to the line, basically. Wow. Um, and uh, just Gustav started dropping these 320Ks for 3K uphill with a hot hot tailwind uh yeah Where we were all slowing down to try and not overheat he suddenly uh dropped a few 320s and that was it that was my three minute gone like that and uh yeah it was i think more than anything else during the performance that's what's impressive that moment he he goes from bloom effect to me uh because then once he'd overtaken me actually like he i mean yeah he won by two minutes but uh he didn't he didn't quite i mean he probably slowed down to what 330 which is still super fast but that moment he you started running at 320 That's like coming out of the energy lab uphill, where like yeah. we were running at 430. You know, so it's uh, that's where everybody blows bonkers. up.
1: That that that's why yeah. it's it's notorious. Everybody looks at that as that's the time in the race where you just try and keep it together. It's not when you're accelerating. I mean, and 320k pace. That's insane, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I, know. I, know, I, know. I mean, because yeah. we were watching it and it didn't when you got to halfway, and it was three minutes. It actually went back out for a bit. I don't know if you know that, but it went back yeah, out. Yeah, I got told, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so
0: um, Chris Lieto was out on course and he was giving me quite regular splits actually and uh, I don't know if he's allowed to do that or not. <laughs> um, yeah, him, uh, it wasn't just for me, I guess. And um yeah, so I, I then found out that when Bloomingford was going to the front, they were actually losing time to me. Yeah. And um yeah, I think technically I actually, I negative split my marathon by just a few seconds. But uh Well done. So I mean, yeah, I couldn't have for me, I couldn't have done anything better. You know, I just, that was, that was where my level was out on the run. And, uh, but equally, like me and my dad, we've never quite focused yet on that. And uh, that's where the most room for improvement is. And yeah, yeah we're, we're really excited about that.
1: I love that. How, how did it feel, you know, when, when you heard the splits and then Gustav actually sort of caught him past you? What, what was that feeling like? Was there you know you, you well, told me yeah
0: but first of all uh in my head like before just before he caught me up in my head i was like when he comes past i'm just going to stay on his feet and like there's no reason that i can't run with him mm-hmm. and, uh, like my, my head like really really wanted to and uh, i mean you can kind of see it on the camera but i tried for about half a second and my body was like nope don't do that <laughs> and, uh, yeah so that, that that was what happened there um, but um gustav came past me and I've only kind of really known him since since the Collins Cup, uh, and he was kind of like when I was getting older. Everybody, well, not everybody, but there's a few people who clearly disliked me after going uh, going up against Sam Long. Uh, he was one of the first guys to say, "Mate, like you're, you're a great guy," and even on, during the race when I had a, a shitter of a day, he kind of he was in a few battles behind and came past me and. Uh, and he, he literally said, like, well, just, like, come on, try and hold on, mate, and let's run together. And uh, and I did. And that's what I actually had in mind. I was like, well, actually, at the Clones Cup, I managed to run the last 4K with, with Gustav, so there's no reason I can't do it here, you know, because there was, what, 6K left or something. And, uh, yeah, just I just couldn't.
1: But, but you kept you kept, the, you kept the, your, your head together, because what was interesting is you still kept the same time gap on, on Christian and Max. Uh, you, you kept them at bay. And for me, it was like a real show of defiance that I'm going to, okay, I might've lost the win, but I, I'm not going to lose this whole battle. I'm still going to race all the way to the finish. You know, there was, there's a lot of positivity out of that. Um, do you kind of look at the, the entire race and go, is there anything you would have done differently? Uh,
0: yeah, I think there's one key, key moment, which would have been, uh, the swim. I should have, so I went out really hard on the first K of the swim uh, and actually like the the tide was coming in so mm. it kind of like kind of stuck us all together
1: Yeah,
0: um, yep. and I should have done the opposite I should have just kind of like really put the hammer down on the way back because I really feel I probably could have put at least two minutes into, into Gustav and Christian I mean normally normally I like in St. George I came out five minutes in front of Christian and I guess and I, I think they also have realised that, that if it was an individual time trial I generally think I would have beaten Gustav um, and uh, I think that's uh, that's a good thing for me to have in my head
1: Yeah, that's awesome I love that I love the fact that you understand the currents too I often feel like athletes don't consider the types of currents I grew up only swimming in the surf and the ocean so all I yeah. ever understood was rip rip currents and everything else and for me, I never liked to lead a swim. And so when it was a, a current where it was, um, you know, swimming into the current, I always got excited. If it was exciting, you know, leading into the swim, you know, the first half yeah. is going to be into it. I'll be like, great, I'll be able to get good position here and then get ready to really have to increase the arm turnover when we start going, you know, <laughs> with the current because that's of, when yeah, things some, will break some up.
0: Of you, some of you Aussies have amazing feel for the water, you know. Like even some, some guys are terrible in the pool where they'll get in.
1: Oh, I can't the stand the pool,
0: yeah. it be, 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 be amazing. <laughs> no, but, um, yeah, I, I discovered that I was, uh, there's a few people like, like both Aaron and Max Stapley are two guys. I mean, they're good in the pool as well, but as soon as you stick them in in open water, they're just, especially
1: at yeah, the, the sea, they're, they're, they're amazing. Oh yeah. Aaron Royal's amazing open water swimming too. Look, yeah. you know, you said you're going to sit down with your dad and, you know, start focusing on the marathon, at, you know, over the next few years where else do you see a extra few minutes to win these big races um you know they've got the swim uh, yeah. there you know I it's it's an amazing performance where, where do you think
0: um it's funny yeah it's funny you say that um we actually had a chat and finally got to go over the race and stuff about two days ago and uh, yeah so although I think there's most the most games are to be had on the on the run he actually thinks they're to be had on the bike and there's mm-hmm. no there's no reason why uh, in two or three years I shouldn't be able to hold about three four 40 watts which would be uh which which I, I agree with him it's just it's one thing doing it it's like one thing setting it and another thing <laughs> doing it um so yeah we have uh we have our, our goals set pretty high. And uh, I mean, yeah, I guess you know you know what they say. It's like if you aim, I can't remember what the quote is, if you aim for the moon, and land on the stars, or the other way around. Yeah, aim for the, aim the stars, the stars land, land on the moon, moon.
1: exactly. Yeah, <laughs> No, I love um, that. Yeah, so I
0: guess that's our that's our strategy, yeah.
1: I, I, and you know what, I couldn't agree with your dad more. I mean, if you look at the numbers, the time spent on course, um, everybody says, you know, bike for show, run for dough. That's the kind of expression that was always had. But mm. I think you and others are starting to prove otherwise that there's still considerable amount of time to be made up on the bike um i see you, you've got a beautiful bike i looked at images you look fantastic on are you riding the track speed concept with head wheels mm. and, and fully decked yeah, out Yeah,
0: that's, that's another thing is that people just see the wattage and stuff but um i mean it, the cone of course really suits me in the sense that it's kind of like it's permanently rolling so you need to you need to know where to put the power you know you need to know how to carry speed so it's uh and i think that's why like cam did so well and has done so well is that there's lots of traffic it was very good uh, just creating power you know but not knowing where to put that power and um mm. i've i've grown up like cycling and even tried to do a bit of like like just cycle racing in during the pandemic actually and um yeah so i kind of i've always had a good feel for the road and on, on certain courses in Europe, for instance, like it, you can't, you don't really see that. Like, or even in Samarin, you know whether whether your Lionel Sanders just like pushing raw power out, uh, or, or or me like doesn't doesn't really make much difference. But on a course like Kona, it makes quite a big difference. So uh, mm. you could maybe have a guy who who'll also go out the same power as me, but just won't go as fast in Kona.
1: I, I love that. One one final bit on Kona, and then I really want to just dissect your journey a little bit more. Is um, yeah. you know running onto a Leahy drive. What was that feeling like? It, was it what you dreamed of, you know, for your whole life? Was it the kind of reaction or was it more or less? Or what was that feeling like? Well, um,
0: first of all, the noise was just absolutely crazy. I don't know if there's always that many people or, uh, or if it's because the racing was split into two. But yeah, I um, I think they burst an eardrum because I've had a bit of a bad ear since. So <laughs> um, oh, yeah, uh, no, that was crazy. And then. Um, yeah, I just like I just broke down. I was a big wuss, really. I started crying. And
1: uh, don't you dare, yeah, mate! Don't you dare call yourself a big <laughs> wuss. That is one of the uh, emotional joys, and and when the body releases, and you're too tired to fight it anyway, right? It's like yeah. you allow yourself to be emotional. Um, yeah. So then, your your dad and mum were they at the finish with you? Yeah. So actually, I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't. Well, if I would have known I'd come fourth in
0: Dallas, I probably would have. So I kind of did this trip to go to Dallas and then Hawaii. Yeah, if I would have known I came forth in Dallas, I would have invited, I would have got my mum and, and brother over, but I just couldn't afford to get them all over. Uh, so I I paid for my dad to come over, which was which was I mean I couldn't have done it without him. Just not yeah, you know, just so many small things that he supported me for for many many years. And uh, as I said before, he's not the most expressive of guys, but I managed to make him cry as well, which yeah goes to show that. Uh, it was clearly quite a big day for us both. Yeah, something that um, I'm, I'm, I'm fully aware also that it's kind of like that performance has hopefully changed like not just my life, but, but their lives as well. And that's always been my goal. My, my parents have invested so, so much uh, just for me to have uh, a good upbringing and just yeah I guess be able to do whatever I wanted and yeah so they, they moved to France and, and really really struggled you know for the first 10 years so for me to be able to to give back is is probably my biggest motivation
1: oh mate that's that's absolutely a beautiful story and very well said there's very rare I haven't had one of the greatest in the sport come on the show with sport or other sports too where they haven't said that the the importance of mum and dad and the family surrounding and and that that team that it takes that everybody's all in and the sacrifices that are made and uh, you know to hear that your dad cried with you is just such a special moment that you guys will cherish forever so I think that's that's yeah really yeah really and cool. I guess um, I think that's what, what people liked about the stories that people kind
0: of see the Norwegians as it's you know just like amazing amazing athletes but almost like robotic like they're just so mm. good that they're just mm. unbeatable they've got they're in the lab every weekend and just working hard but almost like what, what what i got what i've got on my side is like something that just money can't buy you know and i think that's what people liked about the story you know it was almost mm. like a david vs goliath you know i'm with my dad training in the garage and trying to beat these these two norwegians and that's what that's what was was great about it and um yeah so as i said like anybody can Anybody can go in a lab and, and do what they're doing. Uh, well, not anybody, but I mean, you can mm. you can certainly buy what they've got to a certain extent. Um, but like what I've got with my team uh, and my family, especially you just, yeah, it's something that money can't buy. Oh, that's awesome.
1: I love it. It really is almost like the Rocky theme. Did you ever watch the Rocky movies? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, he, he was just, you know, putting himself in the toughest conditions and uh, <laughs> yeah. I love that imagery. It really does. It's, it's fantastic. So let's on that. Let's, um, let's rewind the clock. Like you said, you've listened to this show. So it's one of my favorite things <laughs> to do is to just understand your journey. You've mentioned a little bit, you know, finding the sport at a young age and your parents being coaches in the sport, but 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 take me through those those early years and what what did they look like? As a kid, I guess I was I, ju- I, I just loved sport and hated school.
0: To be honest, I mean I wasn't bad at school, but um, mm. yeah, I just I found it pretty pretty boring. And um, so I did whatever sport I could to get out of school. I did a bit of a bit <laughs> of rugby, a bit of handball. Do you get handball in Australia? No, You don't. Yeah, handball my in next door
1: neighbour growing up was from Yugoslavia and he was the the Australian handball coach but none of us knew anything <laughs> about it i think we had one team in australia at the time so <laughs> it wasn't uh, big but i know mean, i do know it,
0: it. yeah and um so yeah, I did a bit of everything. Judo, actually, I was pretty good at judo because I oh. had these massive fat ankles, and uh, people <laughs> people would just kick them, and like realize that it was a bad idea, and I just wouldn't move. <laughs> I wouldn't move, you know. I was like them. Uh, then what? What then things that kind of have the weight at the bottom and like can't can't fall down? You uh, know that kind of that kind of. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So then when I, no, I mean, I was always I was always really yeah, determined and driven that Kona was, was my thing. And uh, so when I, I learned about this school in, in Foramo, actually, where I kind of could do a bit less school and a bit more training, I, I did the selection test there to get in. Mm. And um, I think there was, this was just like a very regional level stuff. I live pretty close to Foramo, Um So yeah, it was, a, it was a regional level test to get in. And I think there was three slots and it was only three of us uh, asking to get in. And I was fourth or fifth of them tests and actually didn't get in. Um, but then one of the guys got refused because uh, because there was no more space in that year. And so I kind of got in last minute. And um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm not going to say... All this wouldn't have happened if that wasn't the case but um because i'd probably still be stubborn enough to find a way but um yeah it certainly opened a lot of doors from there onwards and uh that next year i came i came second at kind of like the youth national champs in both duathlon and the triathlon um mostly because i had a, a massive size advantage i was pretty big at that age and uh, the other guys weren't mm. that year uh, or oh no the year before actually i'd come out at the water but the national champs, I came out like 138 out of 144 people or something. So people say, oh, yeah, like you're a swimmer. But I mean, I'm, I'm really not like I've had some terrible, terrible swimming years. Wow. in the end, uh, What What age was yeah. that?
1: What age was that where you were kind of coming so far back in the swim? What, how it old was were you? It like was 14, 13, 14, yeah. Oh, not that long ago. 10 years ago. No, you no, turned no. yourself. Yeah.
0: yeah. So I was, um, so then I kind of, I got some, because I came second at the, the national champs, I kind of got selected to go to. Montpellier and trained there with like Cassandra Beaugrand and uh, and Pierre Lecour and lots of the the elite kind of elite guys there
1: Wow!
0: and also I was in I was in a team called Poissy and Poissy have all the best swimmers like
1: they're just it's always been the best club the best racing club in, in, in France yeah so anyway. I,
0: I just kind of went unnoticed you know because I was a, I was a nobody and they already had conanx and Orly and Raphael and they, their strategy in these grand prix races was just to like have three or four great swimmers and they just they just do a breakaway and they ride together and then that's what they do almost every single race hmm. and um i would i would never come out like break away i'd always be in a second pack and I, I wasn't even allowed to ride you know because i'd effectively be riding back on my on, on my teammates so um yeah i was just a bit frustrated with that but um I mean, I had an amazing time with with them guys. Just yeah, the the level in them races is is, is the density of them Grand Prixs is is ridiculous. And often I would, I would come off the bike in in, in the main like the front main pack. And, but I, I mean, I don't know if I ran a if I, if I ran a 15 35k, which for me was a really good time. Yeah, like I'd probably still come like. 40th, you know, or 35th, or Wait, tw- know, 25 and,
1: uh, years ago, that would have had you in a reasonable spot. But there's so many yeah. young guys running sub 15s and even sub 14s these days, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I think, um, I think Hayden, Hayden Wild could run that on one leg, like generally. <laughs> He's a speedster, isn't he? Oh, yeah, mate, yeah. That, that's awesome, though. That you, you were still, I love the fact that even at a young age, you were able to develop your craft by racing and racing often against the world's best. You know, you, you, mm. you, you always had the best in your back door. So you you may not have won a lot, you know, in some sense, but- Or, you, or at all, yeah. Or at all, but, but you were always up against the very, very best so you knew what the bar was. You know, we look back as Australians and in the eighties and nineties, Australians were dominating the sport. And so Chris McCormack, myself, Craig Alexander, we yeah. never got to win much in the nineties, in the early nineties, but we were racing yeah. Greg Walsh, Brad Brevin, Miles Stewart, who were all world champions. And, and so you just developed your craft, and it was like, oh. And then you go out to face the world, and you're like, oh, it's not too bad. It's actually easier yeah. than a than a, a local race. So I, yeah. I love that and you did. I that. I think that's
0: what happened this year in Kona, actually. With uh, so we we had four French guys in the top fifteen, which was really good for us as a nation, and top three in the top ten. Yeah. Uh, and actually, the three in the top ten. I mean, we're all really young. You know, we i'm 23 clement's 23 and leon's 24 i think which is wow which is yeah because because we have some amazing even now like long distance some of that we have emberman and alpduers and there's so many and uh like if you win that race like you know you're doing well you know and uh and some of that like even like a guy like clement he's like i mean i can't beat that guy on them kind of races he's so good at like the courses were in france are really hard and like he's a real specialist and like he's like a household name in france because he he's just really good at the French long course team.
1: Yeah, he, he's very—he's good technically on the descending and that, or, or yeah. what is it? Yeah,
0: yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he's a—he's a smaller guy, so he, he's obviously light on the climbs and just, yeah, I mean, the French, they just love to train. So he just trains silly hours in the mountains and, and that doesn't good for them kind of races.
1: <laughs> hey, a little off topic. I'm curious, you know, obviously you got the yeah. British accent. I don't know if you know that you do, but you do. Uh, did you, did you <laughs> ever consider, you know, racing for Britain or has has France always been home?
0: Yeah, it's, um, it's a genuine question I've, I've been asking myself even this year, like from, a, just, yeah, from an identity point of view for sponsors and stuff. I, I don't really know, but actually, um I'm, I'm almost coming to realize that i can kind of have both you know i think uh, it's not it's not too bad and i will almost get the best of both worlds uh but yeah when i was younger, so i was bought i had the british nationality because both my parents were english and um, so that that year when i came second as a youth or i came second in duathlon the second in triathlon champs and uh they just like completely ignored me because i was english so they were like they, they would say and the first person is blah 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 and then they would just not say anything Wait until i'd come past and then the, next, the third guy would say and the second guy
1: so wow. I kind of got really,
0: yeah i got really frustrated with that and um so what we did was i had to both either i had to wait until i was 18 or both my parents had to ask for dual nationality and, and then uh, and then i kind of automatically got it so um yeah we did that and um i, I meant i could get into the french like uh, camps and stuff. And it was a good job because now with with Brexit, like every man and the dog's asking for, for dual nationality and uh, it takes like a five years.
1: Yes. Yeah, so he already got it. So yeah. what, was there any point then, you know, obviously getting second at both the duathlon and the triathlon nationals, you know, you've had this dream from a young age, you, you, you've, your parents have had all these Ironman age groupers at camps the whole time. You've been living and breathing the sport and you're passionate about the sport was there a moment, or is it over time, that you kind of realise actually I do have some ability, you know, and some talent at this? Was there one moment, or is it over time? Yeah, um, I I've never been
0: a big believer in in ability. Um, as I said, like I like I've gone from being one of the worst swimmers in the pack to to like yeah. one of the best. And um, but yeah, I think. Uh, it's almost like ability i always almost see it as like um a mental thing like what i what i'm grateful for is to have been born with my brain almost you know more than my body um because Mm -hmm. like i have almost uh, an ability to kind of know yeah know what i want and be able to motivate people around me to kind of go and get that and i think that's like the biggest skill that's bigger than any other skill you can have and uh I think I remember reading or, or listening to Alistair Brownlee say something similar when he asked if he got asked if like he, he kind of thought that it was his natural ability or his, or his mindset or something. And he kind of like brought them both together. He's like, yes, it's my mindset, but that could also be seen as, as a natural, ability, almost, you know, and I guess there's also a part of education and my parents have, yeah, basically like, you know, if, if I said I wanted to be an astronaut then they would literally say, yeah, well, let's just, let's, let's do it. And, um, wow. but yeah, I think, um, yeah, I mean, clearly, I'm, I'm more of a natural cyclist than I am runner, and that's what I like there about triathlon is that you can really. I generally think that whatever you're dealt with, whatever the cards you're dealt with, you can like you can win, and that's what uh, it's a very it's a very honest uh, honest racing Ironman, and that's what I've always liked more than than the short courses that I kind of struggled with like not know like sometimes so when i was doing the grand prix races like one week i'd come out sixth of the water like and go and Mola would come out 60th and the next week like Mola would come out 60th and i'd come out 60th and i was like how's how's this possible like what, yeah. what's happening here yeah. and i just kind of i like the honesty of ironman like i genuinely feel like the strongest man wins uh, yeah, so that's that's why I, why I went to longer, of
1: course. Uh, it's music to my ears. You know, for, for, sorry to bring it back to me for a moment, but it, it's kind of like I listened to you, and one of the frustrations I always had with the World Cup and the draft legal kind of thing, I always felt yeah. like, oh, we're missing a bit there. And I was fortunate enough to have Olympic distance non drafting in in the US, yeah. and it was sort of some pretty big money. And I love the honesty of that, where exactly, it was yeah. even every now and then we even did have individual time trial races. Um, and all sorts of different formats where you're on your own, and that really showed up who could do all three and who couldn't. Um, and so I, I hear you when you say that the honesty of finding a race where it's you're on your own. And I, I loved earlier when you said, you know, I, if if it had been a individual time trial, you know, I potentially could have won Kona. Mm. And for me, you saying that and acknowledging that within yourself is just so powerful. Because you're basically yeah, yeah, yeah. saying, "Hey, if anything happens on race day, anything, I know I've got it under control. Because I know if it was a completely, if I'm on my own, swim, bike, or run, I've got this. And mm-hmm. it's just so powerful that you have that. I think that's fantastic.
0: Well, I think all the all the like the people who you really remember in this sport, like I think they they've all kind of they've all had that, that mentality, you know, like mm. if, I'm, I'm almost sure that at the Olympics, if you would have put Alistair like in the time trial mode, like he's, he is the best swimmer and he is almost the best biker and he's definitely the best runner, you know? And, yeah. Uh, yeah. and, um, and it's, it, it's the same with when the year Fredino broke the record in 219, you know, I think he came out second to swim had the second fastest bike and the fastest run, you know? So he's like, he's up there in all three disciplines and, uh, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's great. As, as, as you said that, like, you had the the opportunity to race, like, that there was big money in non-draft in the Olympic. And honestly, like, I probably would have loved to have given that a try if that was, like, a thing now. And I probably would have gone to that before oh, yeah. going to... Man and um, yeah, and generally actually,
1: it's a shame that you, you would have cleaned up. And I'm grateful you weren't around <laughs> 15 sure. years ago. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> what 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 city times did you used to run? Ah, uh, yeah, it's a long time ago. But off the bike, man, I was still only around that 30 minute mark. I wasn't as fast as oh, the only. Um, oh, that's, that's terrible. No, yeah, no, no, terrible. no. But <laughs> could, the next generation, kidding, Alex, I, I, <laughs> I would I wouldn't be close to that. I would have to put a big big gap on the bike to to get. But but to, like to you said, no. But like you said, it was like. I wasn't a runner. I never run a high school Ooh, running on. race at high school. I never, no, I, I, I'm serious. I just loved the idea of running. And so I ran and ran and yeah. ran and ran and ran. And all I did watch, watch, was watch Kenyans and Ethiopians and Eritreans. And I just had nice. a mad love for running. And I trained with John Brown, a uh, British marathon. He got fourth at, two Olympics and fourth at two World Championships, but phenomenal runner and I just ran. And so my running improved from running being a 32, 33 minute 10K down down to, yeah, 29 lows on a a good day. But it took years, it took 20 years. So my point is when you said that earlier, like I believe that my brain is my weapon and that anything's possible, that's what you have. And I couldn't agree more with that. And it's just where do you want to, yourself over these next sort of 5, 10, 15 years, you'll make anything happen. Hey, uh, while I've got you, I know you've got plenty on, are you up for some rapid fire questions? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. Okay. Worst subject at school? French. French. <laughs> I'm sorry. I should laugh at you living in France. You are for it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay.
0: It's just it's so difficult with it. The French language is it's like yeah yeah I yeah, um, wasn't good, but somehow the what the equivalent A level I, I then managed to do all right. But the whole my whole yeah my whole years in school terrible.
1: <laughs> That's great. All right, first car you ever owned? Uh,
0: Volkswagen Golf, old and a really old Volkswagen Golf. Yeah. Cool. But my my grandparents bought for me.
1: Oh, good on them. Thanks, yeah. grandparents. All right, favorite Netflix or whatever streaming service you use that everybody should watch? Um, can, I, can I say a film? Yeah. King Richard. King Richard. It's on my list.
0: Yeah, it's about the, the, the
1: Williams sisters. Oh, very cool. Most inspiring performance you've ever seen in the sport of triathlon? Jan Frodeno, 2019. Yeah, one of the greatest performances of all time. I agree. Three people, non-family members, you'd want to have a dinner with? Uh, Muhammad Ali. Nice. Picasso. Wow. I like it.
0: And uh, just some amazing family member that I never got to meet, which I don't know. Somebody, I don't know. So, yeah, somebody that could tell me more about like where my family comes from, yeah. Picasso, mate. <laughs> I thought, I thought, are you an artist? Uh, my, my mum is or, or was, but um, no, I, I've never really explored my creative side, mainly because French education doesn't really allow it. But, um, yeah, I also, I live in the town or the town next to where Picasso used to live, so it's his museum. Ah, and, very and, cool. Yeah, I, uh, and I actually, I got a frame painted up last year and, uh, yeah, I kind of got his drawings done all over it. It was really cool. Yeah. Oh, that is uh, cool. I'm, I'm a fan.
1: Yeah. All right, best training location in the world? Amelie Limon, where I live. The yeah. more I travel, the more I like it there. It's, so, yeah. it's brilliant where you, I did one training up in uh, Les Anglais, just outside of Font-Ramont. Okay, yeah. Many, yeah, many yeah. years ago. I loved it. Beautiful. All right what decade of music is best? I haven't lived many decades. You're asking a 23-year-old. Yeah, yeah, but you still, like I I wasn't born in the 60s, but I still rank the 60s music as some of the best.
0: Okay. Um, I think there's some, yeah, some really good good music from
1: 2010, 2020. (laughs) (laughs) My generation. (laughs) (laughs) All right. If a movie was played of your life, even though it's still pretty early on, who would you want to play you?
0: Yeah. Well, I'm going to refer back to that that King Richard, uh, King Richard. Uh, so yeah, I would say Venus, Venus Williams. Venus is the oldest one, right? Yeah, Venus Williams in the uh, in yeah in King Richard.
1: No, but I they've got to play a movie of your life. Who's playing a movie I of your it. life? Oh, who would? I, oh, okay, okay, get you know. Yeah. Um you kind of um, Venus Williams playing a movie of your life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Venus Williams smashing me out in coma. <laughs> <laughs> um. Who would I want? Uh, let's go for Johnny Beck. Nice. That's a good choice. Mate, this has been absolutely fantastic. What's next for you? You're going to have a little break here soon, um, then plan out what you're going to do early, any early racing, or is it just focus on getting back to work?
0: I'm actually uh, driving driving around Europe to find which is actually the fastest bike because uh, there's a few bike sponsors that, that want me, and uh, so yeah, I'm going to do that and a few other business meets, and uh, oh. yeah, and then come back home in about two weeks, and um, yeah, so um, no, it's really exciting stuff, and uh, yeah, stay tuned because whatever bike I do choose is the fastest.
1: Wow! Everybody hear that? Yeah. My goodness! Yeah. And I was giving track not, a plug not, early. Just, not the brand.
0: Not the brand that's giving me the biggest check because uh, yeah, I'm really. Uh, you want to win? You want really to win? I performance. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: yeah. I get it. I mean, it's the same with running shoes. It's like make sure you get the, whatever's the fastest running shoe. But mate, Sam, this was just you know I thought I was going to interview a great athlete. I ended up just interviewing just a really great. Person, I've been just—I'm so impressed with you. Honestly, just your gratefulness, your respectfulness, your 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 love of your family. You're a good, good human being. I'm
0: really bad. I'm really bad at taking praise. So, um, yeah, we can stop the compliments now. (laughs) We'll have a chat and talk about chat next
1: time. (laughs) Yeah, all right, buddy. All right, buddy. We can go back to sport. But honestly, thanks for coming on the show and just sharing your journey and your knowledge and and just you what that Kona experience was like. You know, we all get to live vicariously through these stories. And so we really appreciate you coming on, mate. (laughs) Pleasure, mate. And uh, yeah, hope hope it's the first many. All right. Of course it will be. All right. Thanks everyone else for listening. Thanks for sharing the show and all your feedback also. You can find all the timestamps and everything else at bennettendurance.com forward slash media.
0: Thanks a lot for listening. If you enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.